I'm Jerome Hudson, Breitbart News Entertainment Editor and author of the book, 50 Things They Don't Want You to Know About Trump. This is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Today on the show, I opened with the GOP seemingly finally starting to shift the conversation to punishing China for the deadly coronavirus pandemic. Senator Marco Rubio and more than a dozen other GOP lawmakers introduced a bill on Tuesday that would actually enact sanctions on Beijing for obstructing a COVID origins investigation. I also talked about how low can Joe Biden's approval rating go? 33% is the number today. We were also joined on the program by Ken Paxton, Texas Attorney General, and Breitbart's Emma Jo Morris and John Carney. You can listen to their incredible interviews now at SiriusXM.com. Our caller of the day, Jeff from Connecticut. But first, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's noticed. Everything is getting expensive. We're in the biggest economic crisis since 2008, with a government that's printing trillions and trillions of dollars. Consumer prices or at the highest we've seen in 30 years. Inflation is certainly here to stay. And if the government continues its out-of-control printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. So, how do you protect your money, your retirement, your savings? Well, American Hartford Gold can show you how to hedge your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. They'll even help move your existing IRA or 401k out of the volatile stock market into a precious metals IRA, and they make it easy. They are the highest rated firm in the country with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied clients. And if you call them right now, they will give you up to $1,500 of free silver on your first qualifying order. So don't wait. Call them now. Call 866-670-7660. That's 866-670-7660. Or text ALEX to 65532. Again, that's 866-670-7660. Or text ALEX to 65532. start here today because I'm trying to like figure out and coalesce what I believe Republicans should do. Should they take majorities in the House and hopefully in the Senate? I know that Brandon will still be in the White House and any legislation passed is very unlikely, particularly by uh, a majority of Republicans in any chamber of Congress is very unlikely to be signed by Joe Biden into law. But I love this, what my senior senator uh, in Florida, Marco Rubio, has done, introducing he, along with more than a a dozen other GOP lawmakers, a bill on this Tuesday that would sanction Beijing for its, quote, continued obstruction of, of a COVID origins investigation, end quote. Um... I think I spent the majority of the program yesterday 
talking about how I believe we have to start reorienting every single conversation that we have about how this pandemic and how this virus affects our lives here in the United States, not about how your neighbor isn't wearing a mask and mask shaming and vaccine shaming and all of that and case counts and how we get home testing kits and if we should even count cases, all of that to me is important on a level. But the most important uh, thing I believe that we should be talking about is how this virus originated, how most people who care an iota about this believe that it did originate in Wuhan uh, and how it was more than likely engineered and how that research could have been in some way subsidized uh, by tax dollars. That to me is one of the most important conversations and in every other conversation should flow and emanate from that. And that, I believe, is what Senator Marco Rubio and these other Republican senators are trying to get at. They're trying to continue to keep that conversation focused on Beijing, on the government that we all know lied to the world while they knew they had hospitals piling up with patients who had contracted a viral airborne disease that looked like a coronavirus. They, they continue to punish and disappear journalists who dare to actually report the truth about the virus in that country. This story, I just want to give the author credit, Catherine Hamilton, a bright uh, young reporter at Breitbart News, she writes, the bill reportedly bills off of Rubio's previously proposed COVID Act of 2021 by adding more sanctions against China, Chinese officials quote, who were involved in concealing the initial outbreak of COVID-19 in China from the international community, end quote. The legislation would authorize sanctions 90 days after its enactment if the CCP fails to allow a, quote, credible and comprehensive international investigation, end quote, into the origins of coronavirus at Wuhan laboratories that engaged in risky research involving bat coronaviruses. Will Republicans take majorities in the Senate? Who knows? Will they take them uh, over in the House of Representatives? It's likely. But again, anything could happen, although it is very likely. Uh, and when that does happen, I do believe that assuming Kevin McCarthy is uh, House Speaker, assuming Mitch McConnell, who it just kind of seems like every day, you know, if if Republicans take majority in the Senate, he may or may not be a leader. But assuming that all everything goes right and both chambers have a Republican majority. I believe that this type of action has to be squarely within the top 10 of priorities. Again, I understand the political reality that, that Joe Biden's still in the White House and his family is literally in business with Chinese government connected companies to the tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars. I get all that. So he's very unlikely uh, to back these sanctions. But I, I, I don't know. And, and I'll ask Carney about this. I think once the bills actually pass, it's up to the Treasury Department at that point. I don't even think we need Joe Biden 90 days after the, the, the laws are passed to do anything. But this is good. This is, to me, a very important uh, piece of a larger puzzle, a much larger mosaic. We are going to have to live with many different iterations of this virus. I think that the fact that European countries, Bloomberg reported earlier this week, 
their headline, Europe slowly starts to consider treating COVID like the flu. Before I get into the the sort of compilation of articles here, like uh, just that headline alone is 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 incredible. It's incredible. I think, uh, you know, as go as Europe goes, so goes maybe the United States, maybe some parts of the United States. But I think that's how, you know, we've been handling the situation in Florida since the fall of 2000, when the governor there, Ron DeSantis, was like, look, we're going to send our children back to schools. And I trust the leaders in the 67 counties in Florida to make the best decisions possible for the safety of pupils and the teachers and the staff at the hundreds of uh, thousands of schools in the state of Florida. And the media, of course, doesn't actually report this. And maybe Breitbart News doesn't report on it enough, although it's really hard to do. But nobody talks about the lack of of drastic adverse effects of Florida's schools opening up now approaching two years in, in terms of semesters without just dramatic adverse effects. Many of many of these kids, for no good scientific reason, are being forced to wear masks. But but there's there has not been just massive outbreaks that have led to children being hospitalized or or teachers st- staff in in uh, at these schools being ho- hospitalized. It's it's so much always about like what the media doesn't report as much as it is about what they do report. Because you better believe if Ron DeSantis had the types of hospitalizations that the media you just you know would want to be salivating for, or they probably were when he went ahead and opened up schools in the fall of 2020, that they would have reported it. It would have been fire and brimstone if hospitals, you know, the, after the lag time would have would have, uh, uh, you know, resulted in a situation in which hospitals were filling up with with school aged children and teachers and staff from Florida schools. But it didn't happen. Of course, we don't know everything about this virus. And the, the, the governor of Florida, you know, just I mean, he's got nerves of steel to be able to make that decision. But so far, it's panned out. And that is sort of the not pandemic, but endemic disease type of thinking and policy decisions that have guided Florida to massive economic gains that has made it sort of a beacon literally for for hundreds of thousands of people to flee states that bad policy has been enacted, making their lives miserable and almost unlivable. California, it seems many parts of that state or New York or Massachusetts, or Michigan, or Illinois, they're like not even on to thinking about slowly starting to consider treating COVID like the flu. I mean, it's, 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 it's a power grab 24-7 for the governors of, of those states. From Bloomberg, Spain is calling for COVID-19 to be treated as an endemic disease like the flu, becoming the first major European nation to explicitly suggest that people live with it. I don't even I don't even believe that Bloomberg is reporting this. This just seems like the type of thing that you couldn't run. How the hell did they even get this past an editor? Because so many of the people, it seems, in the positions of power just want this virus to just go on and last as long as possible. Why? 
because it's the perfect excuse for them to continue to expand their power and their control over every single individual in this country and in the European countries. But apparently you have some good people who are just maybe uh, sick of the madness and are just staring down the barrel of reality here. Like this thing isn't going away. Bloomberg reports that the idea has gradually been gaining traction and could prompt a reevaluation of government strategies on dealing with the virus. British Education Secretary on Sunday told the BBC that the UK is, quote, on a path toward transitioning from pandemic to endemic, end quote. However, for now, France and Germany are continuing to tighten restrictions, especially on the unvaccinated. The jerk of a president uh, in France, Emmanuel Macron, actually said that he wants to make life for the unvaccinated as difficult as possible. The Netherlands has maintained one of the strictest lockdowns in Europe with restaurants and bars closed in Italy. Prime Minister there said the government has mandated vaccines for those over 50 years and over. So the point here is that you do have some major European governments saying we need to completely change the way that we're thinking about this virus long term. And meanwhile, you have what seems like a majority of other European nations doubling or quadrupling at this point, I guess, down on restrictions, trying to defeat the virus and outsmart the very nature of viruses is to just find one host after another. I have not mentioned the word China in this article. I've done the work for you. Bloomberg doesn't actually mention that country either. And that's part of my point. These countries like, like French President Emmanuel Macron said he wanted to make life for the unvaccinated as difficult as possible. Our, our neighbors to the north in Canada. It is reported that a Ronald McDonald house in that country is going to kick out unvaccinated patients, children and their families and relocate them to another uh, location. Time and time again, we are just seeing examples of good people who did nothing wrong being punished because a virus that should not have spread across the planet as it did has and is as as visited misery among countless millions of people and and, and and given the opportunity to actually govern with competence and with humility, that is not the decision that way too many politicians are making. And in fact, some of them are coming out and openly saying that we're going to punish you for not getting vaccinated. I mean, that's the rhetoric of Lori Lightfoot. That's certainly the decision making of the leaders in states, again, like New York and cities like Los Angeles. The situation is, is so insane. So in California now, the situation is that Gavin Newsom there and the leaders in, in that state are saying that COVID positive asymptomatic hospital staff should continue to work in the hospital. The headline from Yahoo uh, News, as hospitals reel, California tells coronavirus positive medical workers to stay on the job. I don't know how this is scientific at all. These people work in a hospital. They are positive with the virus. They don't show any symptoms, but they are like vectors of the virus. They could. It's possible that they couldn't, but they could actually give spread the virus around. The California officials are making this decision because the employer mandate any any employer with over 100 uh, employees on staff that Biden uh, mandate went into effect Monday. 
So this is all preemptive and in response sort of to that mandate. The state officials and, and healthcare executives, administrators don't know what the hell to do. They just don't know what to do. I mean, you got staffing shortages. You had a ton of retirements, people just completely walking away. People are literally out sick. Lots of people have died. And it's created a labor shortage that many of these these county hospitals, these privately run hospitals, they just, they just don't know what the hell to do. And that's happening in California. But in Akron, Ohio, employees and supporters actually gathered on Monday to protest the Children's Hospital in Akron, which is apparently firing dozens of healthcare workers because they are unvaccinated. So in California, government officials are backing a, a, a decision and communicating to hospital executives that coronavirus patients, healthcare. Uh, c- coronavirus positive healthcare staff should continue to work in the hospitals. That's happening in California. Meanwhile, in a city in Ohio, people are having exit interviews because they're unvaccinated. This, this is what China has done to us. They've turned us into a, a completely out of our mind schizophrenic country. And so, you know, again, I, I, I want to see more action from Republicans like we're seeing from Senator Marco Rubio changing the direction, changing the conversation, putting the focus on China. Joe Biden stood up and gave the craziest speech I think I've ever seen a a president give in prime time yesterday, where he essentially said, if you do not support the Democrats voting legislation bills, you're an enemy of democracy itself. And he put Democrats who oppose these bills in the same boat as actual virulently racist Democrats from earlier pastimes in this country. Man just completely out of his mind giving this this tyrannical speech. But if these sanctions and these bills pass and Joe Biden just sits on his hands, then he's on the wrong side of history. If Joe Biden doesn't actually support sanctioning government officials in Beijing, then yeah, he's on the side of those Nazi leaders in China. The murderous organ harvesting killers who are running death camps in actual slavery plantation camps in China. That's the side that Joe Biden is on. Anything that he doesn't do to stop that country, to weaken it economically, to divorce our dependence on them for everything from advanced uh, uh, microchips and semiconductors and medical equipment rare earth elements, you name it. Everything that Joe Biden, every decision that he makes that continues the reliance of the United States and therefore much of the Western world on the Nazis in Beijing is, is, is evidence that Joe Biden doesn't actually care about this country. Just fascinating, Senator, Senator Dick Durbin uh, yesterday. Quote, perhaps the president went a little too far in his rhetoric. I've been searching for reasons why Joe Biden just went as far as he did so far. In fact, that I'm sure Senator Dick Durbin is not the only Democrat who was was thinking that that Joe Biden just looked like he was absolutely out of his mind. I told a friend yesterday, I said, I don't actually want to come on radio and have to say that the president, the sitting president of the United States was a raging lunatic. But I was left with no other option. That is exactly how the man came off. 
and and I've just I've just been like racking my brain around it. It has no actual chance at life is in terms of legislation. These voting bills, like the majority of the people in the state of Georgia support the laws on the books. Are they perfect? Of course not. But it's easier to vote in Georgia than it is to in Delaware, Joe Biden's home where he spends so much time on the beach. So it makes no actual sense. It makes no political sense. And then a Quinnipiac poll, they put out just some fascinating polling. And it essentially says, when asked, do you approve or disapprove of Joe Biden's handling as president so far? Overall, his approval is 33%. 53% disapprove with Joe Biden's job so far as president. 33% approval in a Quinnipiac University poll. The people who run the polling operation at Quinnipiac they got the 2016 election. I mean, as wrong as you could get it, but they weren't alone. But the, the, the point is, is that, you know, they have the capacity to overrepresent, you know, what they think probably is a Democrat in Hillary Clinton beating a Republican in Donald Trump. To me, they have every incentive to not get a poll like this wrong and then publish it. One that shows that 33% of all voters approve of the job that Joe Biden is doing. You dig into these numbers, I mean, black Americans who historically are on the side and remain in the camp backing a Democrat, basically no matter what, for whatever reason, 57% approval among black voters, 28% among Hispanics. That's almost his lowest mark, independence. 25% of independents approve of the job Joe Biden is doing. So I'm thinking about this poll, it's absolutely Amazing. The last seven Quinnipiac polls, Joe Biden's approval rating goes 49 percent, 46 percent, 42 percent, 38 percent, 37 percent and 30 and now 33 percent. Among all voters, it's 35 percent among registered voters, 25 percent approval rating among independents. Joe Biden gave that wildly insane speech on Tuesday in Atlanta pushing for voting bills that he knows has, has no chance of actually passing because all he has now is his base. But Joe Biden, I just don't believe he's a very smart man. He's pushing for bills that he knows he will never actually sign into law. Stacey Abrams didn't show up to, to do even a photo op with Joe Biden at that event. There were leftist Georgia voting groups that didn't show up. Some of the leaders went on MSNBC and said, we don't want any more speeches. We're tired of the rhetoric. It's going to hurt Joe Biden more than if you can believe it. He can be hurt now because he's going out there and he's showing force for his base. He'll never be able to deliver for them, just like he was unable to deliver the socialist spending package, the Green New Deal Trojan horse of Build Back Better. And I, I just continue to try to think through this. What the hell does this party look like over the next nine months? What do their friends and allies in the media look like? The level of desperation, I, I guess I'm trying to say we should brace ourselves for it. The panic on the left, it just has to be massive and widespread. These people, Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, they are jokes in the face of one crisis after another in this country. I think that there will be a groundswell of people fighting back and pushing back and saying, hell no, I can't take it anymore. But the banner of the Democrat Party, I believe, is historically tattered. And I just feel like we're going to wake up 
a day after election day and be looking at a 25 year crater in the Democrat party. Like the party isn't Kevin McCarthy or Mitch McConnell. It's us. And I see a lot of pissed off people, a lot of frustration out there. You guys call in and you express it daily. I'm just saying, I don't think we're alone, folks. I think people who've never been political in their lives are over it, are tired, and probably just see Republicans as the only glimmer of light, of hope at the end of this horrific tunnel. Did you know there's a conservative advocacy and benefits organization with more than 2 million members and counting? AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has become one of the most impactful conservative organizations in America. Joining AMAC gives you access to money-saving benefits, cutting-edge news, and a magazine full of insightful takes on today's most important issues. But most importantly, AMAC is working tirelessly to preserve the freedom secured by our Constitution. With a full-time presence on Capitol Hill, AMAC is pushing back against the efforts to defund our police, weaken our borders, and replace your freedom with government controls. Stand with me and over 2 million patriots by joining right now at amac.us forward slash Breitbart. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Breitbart. The benefits are great, but the cause is greater. Join today at amac.us forward slash Breitbart. joined on the program today by Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. The Texas Attorney General is fighting a fight that he didn't think he'd have to fight. A decision came down from the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. Ken Paxton is asking the court to reconsider its decision to remove his authority to actually prosecute violations in election law. The attorney general says he feels optimistic that he'll be able to actually have his powers to, you know, actually punish people who've violated election law in the state of Texas. We also talked about his continued fight against the Biden administration in courts with Ken Paxton coming to the conclusion that the Biden administration is intentionally allowing illegal immigration and illegal immigrants to flood into the country in the middle of a pandemic and that the Biden administration and the president themselves actually have deaths on their hands because of their decisions. Uh, Attorney General, welcome back to the program. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me back. This is pretty fascinating to me in a time in which you have President of the United States and Joe Biden giving a speech, which if you take him in you know, good faith, he's making an argument for election integrity, although I don't see how you could do that. But all of these conversations in, at the highest level of politics in this country about elections, um, you are, are having to go so far as to file a motion in Texas uh, Court of Criminal Appeals asking the court to reconsider its decision to remove your authority to actually prosecute violations against standing Texas election law. Like it, 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 it's beyond parody at this point to me that you would even have to go to these lengths to do your sworn job in the state of Texas. 
Yeah, this is the authority that was granted by the legislature, Texas legislature, in 1951. The attorney general's office has been prosecuting voter fraud. My guess is that they determined back then that local district attorneys maybe had political conflicts that made it difficult for them to prosecute. And surely uh, that is the case today. We have certain DAs who have been, you know, supported by George Soros and Travis County or Bear County, which is San Antonio and Austin, or maybe Houston, some of the larger cities are not going to prosecute voter fraud. So if this criminal court of appeals decision stands, which overrules their own precedent, by the way, overrules precedent of the Texas Supreme Court. And by the way, in our state, the Court of Criminal Appeals is the Supreme Court for criminal matters. That's why the DAs took it up to them uh, and, and apparently knew they'd have a sympathetic court. So these are these are precedents that have been overruled. Uh, from both the Texas Supreme Court and this court itself, it also overrules this 1951 statute, and I think ignores a provision of the Constitution giving the legislature the authority to grant me other authorities than those specifically granted in the Constitution, and this is one of them. Everything you just said, but I am still, however, finding it hard to understand how a bench with a majority of Republican judges on it come to this ruling. People have broken election laws in your state. You have the constitutional authority to prosecute those laws. And still this 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 ruling was made. I it just feels like two plus two should equal four here. And, and it's not. Honestly, we were not expecting this. No one even brought this to my attention when it went up to the criminal court of appeals because it was just assumed that the precedent that had been followed, the legislature had the authority to do this. No one ever even thought it was possible that this would be determined to be unconstitutional. So it is shocking, and the timing is shocking. You know, right before Christmas, in a more quiet time, yeah. it was two days after the filing deadline where anybody could file against any of these members running for a statewide election. So they, they clearly waited until the filing, so they knew it was going to be somewhat controversial. And, and the problem with this court is most people don't pay attention to it because it deals with criminal matters only. And so most people, most the, the, most people voting, don't pay attention to this court. They don't know who's on it. But the district attorneys certainly do, and that's that's where their uh, a lot of their support comes from. And the district attorneys in the state have had exclusive jurisdiction over all cases except for voter fraud, and they clearly didn't want uh, that to continue. So they want exclusive jurisdiction over every case. So they can make the decision whether certain types of crimes are going to be cross, uh, prosecuted in the state and others they just decide aren't. Even if the legislature tells them to, they can sit there and say, well, I'm just not prosecuting those crimes, which is what is happening in Texas. What was your initial reaction to Joe Biden's speech Tuesday? Um, he was obviously enraged and angry and proposing like a series of voter law uh, bills that just have no actual backing in a Congress in which his own party has uh, majorities like the House has passed a couple of these, but he, the, these bills are never going to make it to his desk. It looked em empty and unserious. And I think it actually weakens Joe Biden, puts him in a position where he's going to alienate more of his base that really wants these laws, although the majority of the country doesn't. And he can't actually deliver for them. But your initial reaction to that speech. Uh, my initial reaction is desperation that he has had failure after failure and, and they've been purposeful failures, but you know, he's taken the heat for it as people know it. Yeah. Um, and so the best solution is let's move to a one party country. And so if you can create laws where fraud is just part of the system, like it is in California or other states like that, 
where you where you know you don't have a two party system, you never will because it's always going to be rigged. Um, the reality is that would be great for all these other states too, and that way they don't have to worry about people not liking what they're doing because they don't have to worry about elections; they just get elected. And certainly, that's what this criminal court of appeals decision in Texas is the back way door of doing exactly what Joe Biden is trying to do nationally. They have come in here through the back door and pushed through a a court decision that would do exactly what Joe Biden wants, which is a one-party system in Texas. And frankly, if they get that in Texas, we will have a one-party system in the country because we won't win elections nationally uh, ever again. And we won't win statewide in Texas anymore. It'll it'll be a, a Democratic state. Kim Paxton, Texas Attorney General, joining the program right now. Um, we don't talk enough about immigration in this country, your state playing obviously a crucial role in that because of all of the other crises facing the American people and just incompetent uh, government policy from the Biden administration actually making it worse with regulation. But your state, you're actually building a wall, uh, you're intercepting migrants and your Border Patrol agents and law enforcement and health officials are actually dealing with they're doing this job while dealing with labor shortages because of the virus um but you also know uh, general that the federal uh control uh, of migration law is is ultimately in the hands of the biden administration I, give us an update and how you're actually still though using uh, the, the, the courts to force the federal government to enforce immigration laws. So we've filed literally on day three of his administration. He had actually in day one of his administration, he had said he was no longer going to enforce immigration laws. You could come to this country and, and stay. Well, we sued him on day three. We got an injunction to stop that. But ever since that day, he's been weakening immigration laws, n- not through any type of legal process, but by his own pen, or having agencies uh, do things that are not allowed by federal law, which is not to enforce federal federal laws that relates to immigration. So, we've been successful in those lawsuits. Like we we won, we went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court on the Remain in Mexico program, which was incredibly yeah. successful under the Trump administration at stemming the illegal immigration along the border. And we've won. The problem that we have is his actual enforcement of federal law and court orders. He pretty much ignores those, or does it to a very small degree. You know, a couple hundred people are now subject to the Remain in Mexico program instead of 200,000 that cross the border, you know, nearly every month. So we're, we're back in this battle of trying to get him to enforce federal law and now court order. So it's very, it's very much a challenge when a president doesn't view himself as subject to the constitution and being just one of the branches of the government. I think he views himself as the only branch of government. Um, General, are other states, I guess, particularly Republican governors and AGs and lieutenant governors, are they still helping? Are they still sending uh, law enforcement agencies or are finding other ways to assist you? Because you're seeing still um, in some border sectors historic numbers, which almost doesn't even make sense to say because it just seems like every other week or month is another historic clip of people illegally crossing uh, into the country through your state, but are other governors still actually assisting you guys d- during this crisis? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a few governors, but it's, it's, I don't think it's a large-scale help. Uh, I think uh, there's a few uh, Republican states that have sent down state troopers and other law enforcement officials to help us, but largely, even on, uh, on the lawsuits, 
you know, the, the Republican AGs have been really strong on fighting the vaccine mandates. They've been um, probably not as engaged in like immigration, probably thinking it doesn't affect them as much. But the reality is, because of the way this is going, because the border is not secure now for, for, for drugs and we have overdoses are up 30 percent. That's not just in Texas. That's everywhere. Yeah. Uh, the problem with spread of covid because they let people in the country they invite them in they don't just let them they say come on we're not going to test you and we're not going to vaccinate you we're going to send you around the country to spread covid meanwhile we're going to tell americans they have to choose between their jobs and the vaccine so it does affect other states and every state should care about this because it will negatively impact them from a cost standpoint and a health standpoint uh and just a you know saving lives standpoint Governor uh, Ron DeSantis has continuously sort of outlined in, in the state um, and the legislature has sent him bills to sign into law. It's it, it's 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 pretty fascinating. Um, and now he's going so far as to blacklist companies that are helping facilitate illegal immigration in Florida. Is that something um, that that you've been able to to do in your state to to, to disincentivize? You know the the sort of um, social child care and welfare uh, nonprofits and, and the like in your state. You know, I don't have any authority to do that. That would be more in the legislative, or the governor may be able to take some action like that. I certainly applaud Governor DeSantis. He's done a lot of great work on immigration and and many of the issues related to mandates and other things. Uh, but I don't think we've taken that action yet. Um, we've taken. Many, the governor's taken other actions, like trying to stop the transport of illegals, and we got sued over that, held up by the Fed, by a federal judge. So he is making efforts to build the wall and, and sending billions of our taxpayer dollars down there to put, send uh, other type of law enforcement down there. But without the federal government doing their job, if they can just in, you know greet people at the border and then send them someplace, we'll never stop this. The uh, Department of Homeland Security, to that point, actually just begrudgingly answered Senator Ron Johnson's request for data on the number of illegal aliens being released into the interior of the country. Six and seven of these people aren't actually showing up to court uh, uh, to their immigration hearings. And the, the best estimate, because DHS is actually hiding the figures, is over a half a million uh, illegal aliens um, have have been just released into the interior of the country between January 2021 and last October. It happening at all is one thing, General, but it, it happening in, in the midst of a pandemic when so many sectors, important sectors of of the, the towns and cities where these people will arrive to are just strained. Um, I don't think I think it's going to take years for us to actually see the negative impact and effect that this type of policy, this type of open borders policy is really going to 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 have on this country in terms of crime, in terms of of the strain on 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 local agencies and and, and government um, in the education system and the the hospital systems. Um, I just I I don't know if if there's really anything that that. I guess my question is, is, is there is there anything more that you can do save for just waiting for a new Congress that's willing to, to at least help in some regard? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt the, the Biden administration knows that their policies, uh, whether it's related to not stopping the drug, drug trafficking or whether it is 
the spread of COVID on purpose around the country yeah. knows that people are going to die. And they also know that these hearings, uh, the whole point of reinstituting or getting rid of the Remain in Mexico program is to allow people to come to this country and then supposedly have a hearing someday and never show up. That's how it was being done under Obama and, and President Trump fixed that. So all of these policies are not accidents or like, oh, they didn't know what they were doing. The federal government was just like incompetent. No, this is what they want. And the, the idea that they're willing to let people die of COVID or drug overdoses, knowingly that this is going to happen, is to me criminal. And and yet yeah. they get away with it because they know that they can't be impeached by Congress. Congress will never impeach them. It doesn't matter if half the country died. They would blame it on something else. But the reality is they are contributing to the death of thousands of Americans on purpose, and they're getting away with it. And it's the American people need to understand this is no accident. This isn't like some, oh, we're, we just aren't good at doing this. This is like, no, we're good at doing this, and we're doing it on purpose. Attorney General, thank you so much for joining the program. Absolutely. Anytime. And you guys uh, have a great day. Our caller of the day was a good one. Jeff from Connecticut. Jeff and I actually kicked around how, in fact, Joe Biden's basement level approval rating has gotten this bad. It currently stands, according to a Quinnipiac poll, at 33 percent. Jeff believes even a robot could poll better than Joe Biden. I asked Jeff if he's sure Joe Biden isn't one. Jeff also loves everything that President Trump did for this country, but he also thinks that the GOP has a better shot at winning the White House in 2024 without Trump at the top of the ticket. Jeff in Connecticut. Hello, great show. Uh, I was driving on the way uh, to work and uh, heard you and also heard your uh, commentary about uh, Biden's approval rating. I was with a friend last night and it scrolled across the screen when I was watching uh, Excuse me, Newsmax. I live in Connecticut where Quinnipiac University is. But when you look at 33 percent, that's astounding because I was telling my friend, like, there's 25 percent. You could be a moron. I, 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 I laugh. I, I laugh, Jeff. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, because it's hard to, like, hear you say that that is his approval rating among adults asked by professional posters. It's hard for me to hear you say that and just not. That was my emotional reaction. Laughter, because it's. It's insane. It's, oh, no, it's absolutely insane. insane. It's, it's, yeah. it's insane because 25 – you could be a robot and get 25 – that's like a core core. Do we know that he is not a robot? Do What's we that? know? Can we, can we say with 100% certainty that Joseph Biden is not – can we say he's not a, a robot? We can't. We oh, can't. I think he is a robot. I think, I think like my friends <laughs> say, Biden did this. Biden did – I go – Biden didn't do anything. He's um, propped up on the stage. I don't think he even knows what day it is. And, pretty and sad. when you said he's like crazy, that speech in Georgia, I, I think he's like emotionally not all there. I, I think why, he's like crazy. Why, why, Jeff, do you think he went from, and literally we're just about two weeks out from Bill Back Better dying, from Joe Manchin going on Fox News Sunday of all places, to put the final nail in the coffin two weeks um, on from that just miserably embarrassing loss that I'm pretty sure sent more shockwaves through the fundraising arms of the Democrat Party. Um, two weeks on from that, Joe Biden pivots not to any of the actual crises facing the country, but to voting rights. 
he goes to Georgia and does it. Like, does that make any sense to you? I'm I'm struggling to find the the like the the sense that it makes. It he's making makes a per- no a- sense whatsoever. I don't know who his chief of staff is, but he, this is another initiative that's going to die. He's going to get more, if you will, more wounded. I don't know who's advising. I know he doesn't make his own decision. The thing is a dumpster fire, yeah. and I think I am old enough to remember. Carter and that malaise, but for every negative, there's a positive. Then you had Reagan and you almost sure. had a 20, 15 year run of uh, Republican conservatism. I think, I'm sorry, this is, you're not going to agree with this one. If Trump gets out of the way, the Republicans and conservatism is golden because he's the only thing that can trip this up. I voted for him twice, love yeah. his policies, but he, let's be honest, he's a lightning rod. And he can't get over his own, get out of his own way. He's got a tweet about the waiter at Denny's. I mean, enough. <laughs> I think he could be a power this, broker. He could be a statesman, and he yeah. could be the kingmaker. He could be House Speaker because under the Constitution, any citizen of the United States could be House Speaker. Jeff, I, I kind of want to stay on this because, look, I'm an open-minded individual. Um, and I'm sort of torn on this. I like a lot of the stuff that, that Donald Trump did. I literally wrote a book about all of the good things that he did. I, I found 50 and, and within each chapter is literally dozens of other, you know, micro sized wins for the country and its hardworking taxpaying citizens. But I do hear what you're saying, like and I mentioned this on Tuesday's broadcast for every win that Donald Trump gained for himself in the country at 9 a.m. By noon, he'd already stepped on his own foot. That's um, the point. And, and, and I'm sorry, I'm just going to interject in one thing I, 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 real quick. is My friends and I are all conservative, and we're pissed because we feel that he let us down. His policies were awesome. He's supposed to be this great media communicator that he spent two-thirds of his life. What, is that how he was built? I don't, I don't know. Well, I mean, he, he did The Apprentice. He was always in the media. Yeah, sure, was, sure, sure, sure. A lot sure. younger. But he, like you said, 9 o'clock, he had this great policy. And by 12, he'd be tweeting about the waiter at Denny's or some Nancy Pelosi's a nutcase or whatever. And just he fed his own demise. And I'm sorry to say I'm also his handling of the covid. I think structurally and and strategically, he did an outstanding job. But if he did the instead of going out on all these tangents, if he just had these fire, even if press conferences, press conferences, chat and we're all in this together, he would have been president. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, actually, in that same Quinnipiac poll, um, when asked, do you want Trump to run for POTUS in 2024? Yes or no. Overall, 33 percent say yes and 59 percent say no. Sixty nine percent of Republicans asked said yes. Twenty three percent said no. Thirty three percent of Hispanics said yes. Seventeen percent of blacks said yes. Two years from now, you know, this who knows what the country looks like, who knows what state the country is actually in. And it could be pretty bad, actually. Yeah. And and that, I think, would have a a massive effect on people answering a question like, well, do you think like that? There are two more years of Brandon and Buttigieg and Kamala and the whole gang. I think I think people's answers to this question might be a little bit different. That's an excellent. Um, I 100% agree. That's a 100% excellent point because it could be such a fire that you yeah. need a savior. Just like Churchill was cast out in the 30s, 
he was the man to fill the void in the 40s, obviously. And one real quick, because I love your show, just real quick. The whole thing about Kamala Harris, I think she's an insult to African-Americans. I mean, when I make a mistake, and I've made many mistakes in my life, I look in the mirror and I say, I screwed up. To, To be the vice president of the United States and not accept responsibilities for your and blame your gender and your race. It's appalling. You're supposed to be a uniter. It has nothing to do with that. She's a crappy vice president. She's a, yeah. incompetent. It has nothing yeah. to do with race. I got American parts. I got American faith. Thanks for joining and listening today. This is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Raise the flag.